I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Hey everybody, welcome to episode 179 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So we have uh, um, we have an Ask MTJC. Last week we were talking about uh, IRQ conflicts or IRQ settings on uh, hardware, on cards. So Greg Hughes gracefully posted uh, an Ask MTJC follow-up for us on PC hardware, and I have no idea what it says. <laughs> Did you look at it, Jaime? Yeah, I don't remember any of these things. Yeah, yeah, but I do remember the address five three seven, whatever, whatever that would be. But I'm not sure what DMA is. The, oh, that direct memory access. I think it's for for RAM configurations. I guess it's all the settings. Yeah, because it's a PC hardware configuration base port address two twenty eight. Yeah, IRQ yeah, three five seven seven yeah. DMA one through five. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those uh, early early Windows things. You had to set your memory allocation or how you access your memory. Did you ever work on a PC? 
Mark? Long time ago, yeah. Yeah, not long enough to remember. <laughs> Too long ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Greg, can't help you. You'll have to answer your own question next time you're on, and we'll 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 hold you to that. Um, all right. And so we also had another follow up from Nick Corn. Um, says he's a, oh he's in Columbus, Ohio. He says he has the same problem on his uh, um 2017 MacBook Pro while it's connected to an external display. He gets the red uh, menu bar. So that yep. um that's your issue, Mark. That's exactly the same issue. Seventeen MacBook Pro external display. So is the red menu on the external display or on the actual Mac Pro? On the external display. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Huh. Because I run an external display here too, and I sometimes see weirdness happening. But uh, huh. I, I just wondered if if there's some common um, control panel you guys are. What what um, control panes or uh, system preference panes are you running on your Mac there, Mark? That show up in the in the icon bar. Uh, nothing special. Nothing like Dropbox, unusual. Yeah. Not usual Dropbox, stuff. No. No. no it's, it's a work oh. machine. Weird, eh? Hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe uh, Nick Corn can help us out with. I was gonna. I'll, I'll tweet him back about that. But yeah, he says the right half of his menu bar turns red, so it seems to be a, a common issue. Mm-hmm. Right, well, thanks for the feedback, um, Nick. All right, um, moving on, we have um, you know. So yeah, I posted this as follow up um, that uh, GM announced this week that they're going to introduce a autonomous driving car that has no steering wheel, which is kind of weird. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, the concept they show here, it's kind of what you would expect. It's like, oh, it's like a normal car, except it doesn't have a steering wheel. But yeah. to me, I'm like, well, you have all this dash space that could be, you know, more screens. Um, I tend to get hot in the summer, so uh, I'd mm-hmm. like to see these vents be a little bit bigger than, than they are. <laughs> um, you know, two cup holders, all right, that's okay, but why can't you hang on to, like, a 64-ounce big gulp from 7-Eleven, like, right yeah, there in the yeah. middle? Like, what else am I going to do with it? Or what about a little slide-out desk? You could yeah. Put your <laughs> to me, this looks like a totally photoshopped, right? Like, this, they just passion, they took the passenger side and just slopped it in Photoshop, and yeah, because even the radio looks suspect. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do you think? Like, would you would you drive? I mean, admittedly, like in you know two generations from now, this is going to be normal. Like you see it in sci-fi movies all the time. But would you drive in a car that didn't have a steering wheel? Like you could just grab a hold of at some point if you're, or would you have total faith in your your, your car's ability to navigate down the road and not take out you know small children and dogs? Yeah, I don't think I would with today's technology. Uh, I guess they're, this is for their next uh, generation, so yeah. maybe the technology is a little better. But uh, I'm not sure it would even be legal to do that right now. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I think I when I look, all right, you know, 20 plus years from now, um, I think almost certainly, uh, uh, certainly will. Um, zero to 10 years, almost certainly not. It's that 10 to 20 years that I'm a little bit less clear. Like, when will it be like, all right, I need to stop being the one weirdo who refuses to get into an autonomous car and just get yeah. in one? Yeah, well, I'll be I'll be probably in my 70s by then, so I'll be the crotchety guy going, you know, but my day, you had an iPhone, you had to push the home button and... <laughs> See, I, I think the the risk benefit ratio sort of changes as you get older, right? Like I've I refuse to do um, like skydiving or anything until I'm you know closer to my seventies. Really? I'll be like, well, <laughs> let's say I'm the one out of a thousand that dies on this trip. I really didn't lose that much if I was already in my seventies versus <laughs> dying in my twenties. Let's say. Yeah, I think there's no chance of my jumping out of the plane in my seventies as it was when I was in my twenties. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where this all takes. I mean, like. 
Okay, so I mean, I've I've been in Vancouver where the train system runs uh, autonomously and it has since like the 90s, you know. Uh, they, what ex- uh, No, when do they have Expo over there? 92 maybe? No, I'm not sure. But anyway, they, they put in that monorail system there that runs, you know, without... Uh, and I, I think there are other, other major places where there's been autonomous, you know, vehicles driving around, right? I mean, like in a confined thing, like a rail, it's a different story, I realize. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Can't imagine our 16 lanes of highway traffic here in Toronto and Russia. I'm sure there's in LA and places like that, there's probably more too, right? I, you know, I have faith in the idea of autonomous driving. And well, you know, Mark may be able to speak to the whole computer vision thing. You know, um, seems to be pretty impressive. But we talked they, about that. They more use uh, LiDAR than computer vision. On the, in the cars, right? In the cars, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think I saw something, some um, driverless car was using, because uh, I, I hadn't thought about it, like uh, machine learning to sort of see what's on the road, right? We talked about this a couple of episodes ago where I kind of imagined they would have to put some sort of beacons in the road to sort of, so it would know where to go. But um, I guess they were using, so I saw something about using computer vision to um, see what the optics are on the road, see the edge of the road, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how that would work in a blizzard, but still, you know. Hmm. I wonder if a self-driving car would pull over in a blizzard. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, it doesn't have to be better than people because I think the bar is pretty low for people. It just has to yeah. be as good as people. And then the whole economics about it sort of uh, change. And it will probably be, um, I think what we'll eventually end up with for autonomous vehicles is that they will be way better than people for day-to-day things and even, you know, seasonal things like blizzards and whatnot. It'll be the, um, like, some sort of crazy event happen, like the sort of thing you might see out of a movie where the autonomous vehicles will mess up. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. that'll be the trade-off of, like, oh, no, there will be some news story. They'll be like, oh, no, you know, this this family of four was you know, unfortunately killed, by an killed because of this crazy scenario that's set up and the manufacturers are investigating and everything. But I'm like, well, okay. Um, but the whole overall stats for automotive uh, injuries and, and deaths will have dropped dramatically by that point. I, I think that's where we'll eventually end up in the next 20 to 30-ish years. Yeah, I actually heard a statistic the other day. They were saying that, um, you know, uh, pedestrian being hit by cars in the last, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever has is quite a bit higher than it was, you know, previously. And it turns out that you know, the thing is, the pedestrians were like on their phone or with their earbuds in. So, I mean, if the pedestrians can't be trusted to cross the road properly, like how can you expect these auto- autonomous cars to, to navigate, right? If, if regular people, like you said, if it have to be better than people or slightly better than people, um, if, if that's still taking people, you know, uh, colliding with humans walking around. I don't know. Well, the, the autonomous cars might be better at detecting the the walkers than a, than a, a person would because you have to notice the person, but the car that's true you know, has sensors true. all over the place. They're more likely to sure. It. Yeah, it has one job as opposed to people who tend to you know be eating a sandwich or mm-hmm. tuning a radio or whatever while they're cruising down the road down the thoroughfare. Yeah, it never gets tired. It never comes home drunk and then has to go to work the next day <laughs> or high. Come on, let's be realistic. Yeah. People kept thinking about the the negative aspects of the terminator but they were really good sides too <laughs> <laughs> yeah they made sure all the books got returned on time for sure the terminator right all right yeah that, that, well interesting to see what happens with that uh, 
particular story. All right. So, um, Jaime, you've got some main stories here. So one of them is uh, about Dropbox. What's that one about? Yeah, it's um, according to Bloomberg, Dropbox has made a uh, sort of a, a quiet filing to IPO, uh, do an initial public offering in the United States. Uh, apparently, this will value the company at $10 billion, roughly, uh, or sorry, I read this wrong. Uh, it was valued at $10 billion just a few years ago and apparently is drawing in about a billion per year in revenue. Um, mm. They're looking to list in the first half of this current year. So I think the two aspects I wanted to chat about with you guys was uh, the one aspect of this story is, you know, there's going to be um, a sudden uh, set of a flush of whole people will have uh, money, sort of like the way that, you know, like when Microsoft um, IPO'd back in the 90s, it suddenly created a whole bunch of Microsoft millionaires who went off and did other things like real networks and so on and so forth. There's like a whole lineage of families that grew out of uh, ex-Microsoft money. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of Dropbox, you know, what startups right, get, yeah. uh, you know, funded, what ones get created, that sort of thing out of this money. And then the second aspect related to that is um, we should note that this has been 10 years in the making. So um, there's sort of like a everyday developer. If you're thinking about joining a startup, this might be something you might want to consider because this is being considered a, a pretty, um, pretty successful uh, path to IPO so far, but it's also lengthy at a decade if you were one of the early employees. That's a long tail. So when you when you work at a company and you get stock options or whatever or restricted stock units or whatever, can you hang on to them even after you've left the company and just remain like keep your 100 shares or whatever it was you were given back in the day and wait for oh, this fateful day? It depends. So if you're given RSUs, which are restricted stock units, uh, then you're just given stock. You own the stock. You can do whatever you want with it. If you leave the company, then you keep it. You're, it's yours forever. If it's an option, typically if you've vested, if you if you have invested any of the shares, they're gone as soon as you leave them. Typically, the shares that you vested usually have a certain amount of time, few months or whatever, uh, to exercise those shares, which means you pay the value of the share and then you own the share outright. Uh, any shares that you've already exercised before you leave the company, you you own. So once you exercise the shares, the options, you own the shares outright. And yeah, so that that's an idea where you're given a stock that at the time maybe worth twenty five dollars, but you know invest after two years, you have the option to buy it at that, even if it's gone up to $75 in two years, right? Right. That's an option. Yeah. So you yeah. Have, and then, and, and, but that you have, you're, when you say vesting, you have to actually convert it into cash and shoot them to 25 bucks, right? No, that's exercising. So vesting. Oh, okay. So usually when they, when they give you a, an option grant, uh, it's, it's not available to you to use immediately. There's right, a certain amount of time two, you have to wait. Term, yeah, and term, it's, yep. it, typically it's four years, uh, before you've completely vested all of your shares. Uh, very often there's a, a one year cliff, they call it, where after the first year that you work with the company, you get 25% of the shares all at once. Uh, then often, but not always after that, they come faster. Uh, smaller companies, startups tend to, although no guarantees, but tend to invest a little bit every month. So an equal amount every month through the next three years until they're all invested. Some companies are you know every quarter, some companies are every half year, some companies are every year. It depends on me. But, but uh, so when, when you get the grant initially, you, you have a schedule of when those shares vest or when they become available to you to to exercise choose to uh, and and the, the other part of what you said was true that there's there's a certain price which is the exercise price which the idea of it is is that exercise price is lower than the value of the stock at some point in the future so you can buy at cheap price and then sell at a higher price that's the idea yeah so so once you once you vested any of your shares you have the option of exercising and and at that point you have to actually pay the exercise price to the company uh, and then
then you own those shares. But as long, typically, as long as you're an employee of the company, you don't have to exercise. You can still keep the vested options. Uh, they expire usually like 10 years after or something after they vest or so that. But, uh, but so, so if, you know, if you're going to stick around the company, you don't need the money. Often it's, it's worthwhile to not exercise right away because, uh, you don't have to put the money up upfront. Uh, on the other hand, there may be tax implications where you want to put the money up early and hold on to the shares for a year or whatever to get a, a lower tax rate when you sell them. Right. So that was Jaime's first point was about in this particular case, you had to stick around for 10 years before, uh, you could, you know, cash in or, you know, sell your stock if you were an early, early employee. Um, the second piece was what do you think will come out of, um, Dropbox in terms of uh, people, you know, taking the money that they've made and going off and starting other things like, you know, the whole gang from, um, the Xerox Park early, early computer days went off and formed all kinds of companies like Cisco and 3Com and all that other stuff. What do you, what do you think will come out of Dropbox? What do you think, Jaime? You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure because when I look at like some of the heritage stuff and I, I wish I had a list in front of me from what came out of Microsoft, uh, there's more than just real networks. Um, I suspect that probably some of, uh, Amazon's early folks were probably, you know, somehow related to the Microsoft, uh, millionaire sort of thing where they could, they could take a chance on that sort of thing. Um, I would guess that it will be people who um, are going to look to take on the more consumer-facing aspects of, of where Dropbox has tended to sort of suffer. And by this, I mean not sort of where Dropbox is really strong in terms of, you know, we have your data, we synchronize it, we back it up, we make it available everywhere. I think they're they're really strong at that. They obviously are making money from folks such as me who have uh, signed up for the yearly, I don't know, it's like a terabyte of data or whatever it is. Um, I think the areas where they've sort of stumbled as a company is when they've tried to add on additional things, you know, like, oh, this will be like a photo gallery thing in this paper. I think they even call it. It will be like, oh, this will be a way for people to take notes as a team. All these other things that they've tried to do to add extra value to Dropbox that haven't really taken off. Wouldn't be surprised if you had folks who were like working on those teams, probably really frustrated and stymied by whatever, you know, political culture, who knows, um, tech stack, whatever, who will say, you know what, I'm going to do this my way because I think my way is correct. And maybe we'll see like the the next hot thing coming out from one of those like you know failed experiments at, at Dropbox that becomes a successful company under somebody else's direction. But you know that this this IPO is not likely to be any bigger than say Snapchat or any of the other IPOs that have been recently. I'm not sure that there's uh, going to be you know any oh like just giant, giant inflation of stock price right away. I think. Pardon? Like like there's not going to be like a big boom where people are going to be expecting it to you know triple or quadruple in in terms of value. Why 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 would it? No, I, that's what I'm saying like you're, that's what you're saying that, that it's not necessarily likely that that would happen right? I mean yeah. the one thing about Dropbox is is you know because they do have a steady income whereas you know the Snapchats and I think Facebook even went even though Facebook had a, number, a large number of users when they first initially went IPO they didn't really have much revenue or didn't seem to right right they had the ad revenue but nobody knew what that was right right so so it's it's really all about growth so a typical established company that's not growing a whole lot uh will have a price to sales ratio of you know maybe 10 uh so what does that mean that means if they're selling a billion dollars a year in revenue that means their valuation ought to be about 10 billion dollars total uh and you know that's half of what snapchat was valued at or not even half snapchat was 25 billion and the reason (laughs) snapchat was valued so highly was because there was a perception that they were growing super fast and and would have future revenue streams based on this huge number of people using the the app and that's exactly the same thing about Facebook is you know they they had you know half people on the planet using the thing so so if they, once they figured out 
out a way to to uh, get uh, get revenue out of those people, there would be a huge amount of revenue, and it turned out to be true. So so companies that have a lot of potential growth will will have a much much higher price to sales ratio, and some of them don't even have sales, but but uh, in in general, will have a much higher valuation. So with Dropbox, you know, it's I mean I I don't know they might have some some uh, plans to suddenly get a lot more revenue, but I don't know I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm not they're not really considered a you know a, a sexy company these days. I don't think so. I'm not sure that they will have a huge valuation. Certainly, if they're making a billion dollars, they certainly deserve a, a ten billion dollar or maybe even higher valuation, which which will make probably a bunch of people millionaires in the company uh, who out of employees. But but we're probably not talking about you know too many employees being certainly not billionaires coming out of that. Maybe maybe the founders, but but it's but it's not like it's it's you know it's going to be like a, a Google IPO or anything like that. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I could be wrong. I didn't think the Google IPO back in in two thousand five was going to be that big. Yeah, no, <laughs> so like don't ask going, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I very unwisely did not invest. Yeah, very yeah, unwise. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about it at the time. Oh well. And 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 like Google's value keeps going up, doesn't it? Like steadily. Uh, Google's been kind of flat for a while. I think. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. So Jaime, you got another story here about the the missile alert on the weekend. What was that one about? Yeah, there was an unfortunate uh, false alarm event in the state of Hawaii where um, an employee accidentally sent out a, a warning, which goes out to like you know every phone that says you know warning incoming missile. Basically, go go hide and 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 shelter yourself. And it took thirty eight minutes for them to be able to send a uh, follow-up that was, you know, false alarm, there's no actual missile sort of thing. So there were a lot of very terrified people in the state of Hawaii. Uh, that's not why we were talking about this, though. Uh, the reason we're talking about this is the initial story came out that an employee, like, selected the wrong option. They selected the live, like, this is a legitimate sort of test sort of, uh, uh, this is a legitimate message sort of thing, rather than the test version, which presumably exercises everything except actually sending out the actual messages. Right. Right. notification. Um, and what we uh, have seen here, and we'll have a uh, link here in the show notes for those of you driving home, is a Verge article that um, links to a Honolulu civil beat uh, via Twitter image of what exactly uh, was being selected there. And it's it's been horrifying to people who love uh, user experience, who love user uh, interface design. It is, as far as I can tell, because I'm, I'm not an expert in this, it seems to be an unordered list of links where <laughs> no some of the links are test links um, and some of them are legit actual things and I could see how it would be very easy to instead of choosing uh, drill PACOM CDW state only you accidentally clicked on PACOM CDW state only they're separated by about I don't know half an inch of vertical space at best and again they're not ordered it's, uh, it's like actual Amber Alert Amber Alert test message PACOM uh, tsunami warning drill PACOM landslide Amber Alert demo test high surf warning North Shores um, it, it, it it's, it's definitely the sort of thing where mm, there's probably some sort of trade-off. So for everybody out there wondering about designing their own software, uh, you don't want the process to be so cumbersome that the people in, a, in an emerg- actual emergency are unable to you know, complete the, the warning system. But you probably also don't want it to be so easy either, uh, where there's like no sort of visual hierarchy. There's no, I think I was chatting with folks, there's nothing like in the aerospace world where it's almost impossible for mechanics and pilots to accidentally think that they logged something into the production system rather than the test system because the test system or test data is almost always uh, marked by different coloring like on the screen like you will see like a yellow band or amber banding and probably some sort of symbology that I I forget through the mist of time for people who are um, 
uh, colorblind, it would be very obvious that like, oh, uh, did I forget to, to add that maintenance record that says the left wing is about to fall off on the next flight? Like you, you, you wouldn't see that, right? There's, uh, there's definitely like a solved problem here. Um, even if you've, I don't know, you've gone through software that was like, okay, you want to delete this record. Guess what? Now you need to type in this particular word just to make sure you're actually paying attention and not click, click, click. And yeah, whatever windows UAC sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'll click. Yes. Oh, holy smokes. I accidentally sent out a message that says, you know, North Korea is sending a missile to the state of Hawaii. Um, there's a lot of trade-offs here. Uh, I think the one they chose here was clearly wrong given the, the okay. impact that it had. This is a, apparently a system that is not, uh, it's not a routine part of their system to do these tests. Uh, it's a little unclear to me at this point why this test was being run. It says a uh, test was run occasionally, but not by any routine schedule. So it um, feels like there's some training aspects here too. So a, a lot of lessons to learn, I think, for people uh, developing software out there. <laughs> yeah. They can at least make the the, uh, the dangerous ones red. Or bold. Uh, or, or yeah. something, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, pleasant blue. Oh, and uh, the one <laughs> thing I forgot to mention, the, the one that's on the very top, the BMD false alarm, that was when they added after this event. Uh, part of the reason oh, really? that it took them 38 minutes to just send out a response is... Uh, my understanding is that this system, you know, you click on something and it does, you know, it does its job. These are like pre-canned messages. Um, they didn't know how to send one manually. So they had to like hurriedly find out how to do that. Um, and so now after the fact they have added the uh, false alarm link so that they can click it and immediately notify people, Hey, guess what? That was a false alarm. Don't worry. Wow. Um, yeah, so, um, just imagine them scrambling to get a hold of the guy who knows how to do it. Yeah. Know? And <laughs> I, I can't imagine why you would have this sort of system without also the requirement requirement of, hey, what happens if it goes wrong? You know, um, how do we deal with a false alarm situation? What if, or even if not the system itself, it's like, hey, um, you know, we called NORAD and they said missiles coming in and they call us back and say, oh, never mind. That was our test system. Never mind. It's all clear. How do you deal with that situation where you legitimately uh, followed your procedures, but other people in the pipeline uh, gave you incorrect information? It, it, it boggles the mind that they didn't have a backup of some sort. So do people have to subscribe to this? this thing like um, the screenshot they got here looks like it's coming from a news station but um would people have like did this go out to everybody's phones automatically or do you know I, I think so yes it's it's the same way uh that now i get amber alerts or or emergency weather reports oh, right, on my phone. Yeah. i never signed up for those i just get them i think you can turn them off if you go into settings right, somewhere right. but the default is that they they just come to you automatically right it was done through the the carriers and the manufacturers um i don't know if this is true for, for canada but in the united states I think this year they just implemented a uh, presidential link. So the office of the United States uh, president can send out presumably like we've, we've gone to war with such and such country or oh, something. Oh, that's great. You know, the, that's just, that's wonderful uh, the, here. the volcano, but... uh, the mega volcano under uh, the Midwest has blown up and now like whatever it is. Um, I'm assuming that that, since I haven't seen it in settings, I'm assuming that one is like absolute mandatory, cannot be turned off. Right, that's wonderful news for you guys. I'm really pleased for you to hear that. <laughs> there was a lot of controversy <laughs> Uh, for sure about that, given the, the current uh, political situation. But yeah, I would yeah, be exactly. unsurprised if we didn't have something in a lot of other countries because it, it, it's very useful uh, technology to have, right? Like before, the, it probably would have been a little harder in general for a false alarm to go out. But it also means that legitimate alarms would be harder. You'd have to rely on like local news stations and radio. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we do get the Amber Alerts here, too. I mean, like, you know, you'll be watching uh, TV or listening to the radio or something and, and uh, you'll hear like a tone and then you'll get an amber alert uh, I think on our car radios and stuff like that and it'll explain what the amber alert is and then it goes away and you're back to the regular show program and then a few minutes later you get the same thing
happening again. So I think this is, again, part of the emergency broadcasting system, right? Um, right. Like we used to get on TV, right? This sort of how how do you let people know? Because um, wasn't, there, wasn't there something like air raid sirens? They have to test those every now and then, and they, they regularly freak people out too? I remember hearing something about those. Tennessee. I or, don't think there's hmm? been one around here, at least for a long time. Yeah, that yeah, might no, vary I, on a state-by-state basis in the U.S. I, I think there yeah, are think, air raid sirens in some states, but um, not in Washington yeah. State, I would guess. Well, I think Tammy's mentioned them before because I think she she lives in a tornado alley, right? So I think occasionally you hear them down there. But I've, I've heard news stories about them going off and you know sort of panicking people. But yeah, this was crazy. People were putting their kids down in sewers and stuff like that, and you know to protect them, I guess, right? Yeah. So pretty panicky. Hmm. Yeah, this will end up in software engineering and user experience design courses from here yeah. to the end of time. Just like the um, what was the name of that medical device? It was like the Therac or Therac twenty five, something similar that accidentally gave a um, a poisonous dose of medicine to a patient, something like that. Nice. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was like in the 70s or 80s, I think. Well, it's like the original bug was a moth discovered by, I think, Grace Hooper's team. It was back in the vacuum days, vacuum tube days, they found an actual moth that shorted out the circuitry mm-hmm. and broke the program. So, interesting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so our first two stories have been about doom and gloom <laughs> in, uh, in the cyber age. Uh, what else you got for us to cheer us up, Pimey? Next, puppies. <laughs> <laughs> if there's like the newscast, they're like, oh, you know, we're in recession, we're in war, puppies next, you know, after the break. Um, uh, the, the happier side of stuff that's going on is, uh, I've not used this, it, it's in alpha and it's more of an FYI, is that Google has a new cloud service that will let you train uh, AI or machine learning type setups um, with a lot less of the hands-on coding and, and knowledge being required. So they're introducing something they're calling cloud auto ML. Uh, for machine learning, which is um, a little bit different as they have here in this linked article. There's a pretty good Google um, video from the developer team on YouTube that describes like, where does this fall on the spectrum? So they say, well, on the one hand, you have Google's you know vision API that uses completely pre-trained models like we have familiar with, like the Inception V3. That's pretty popular for uh, people tinkering with Core ML. Uh, this is something that has already been trained for you, so you don't have to do anything new, but it also isn't going to be particular to your use case. And the video uses a use case of like, well, you know, it can recognize that an image has clouds, but if you're a meteorologist, it's not trained to recognize the difference between uh, cumulonimbus and, you know, cumulus sort of clouds. On the other extreme is where you have their uh, machine learning tools where you are going through and you're building the network and you're training, you know, with a large set of data. In between is what sort of seems to be the sweet spot for AutoMLs where they have um, tools that let you train a partially pre-trained model. So they've they've already got it to recognize many different things and they're sort of using like the last few layers is where you're putting a handful, like maybe a hundred sort of photos and, and then either pre-tagged or, or after the fact tagged to train that model and create something that can then be called from, uh, I'm presuming one of their cloud uh, auto vision sort of APIs. So it, it, it's pretty neat that a lot of vendors are doing this. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that Azure was uh, Microsoft's Azure tools was offering something similar. Um, the benefit of that one was that it was able to output CoreML um, models. I don't think from what I, uh, little documentation I saw, I don't think this does that yet, but I would be pretty hopeful that it will. Right now it's in alpha, so you actually have to register to like sign up to get access to it. It's not like open beta uh, or even production, but I'm pretty excited that the idea of like using a lot of this stuff um, 
that's sort of off the shelf and also things that are uh, mostly off the shelf, but with a little bit of customization. So you don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, go take a machine learning course to learn exactly how to get what you want. Right. Cool. Any thoughts on that, Mike, Mark? Uh, you know, I haven't really looked too deeply into it, but it seems like kind of a cool thing. It's it's uh, just showing that this all these technologies are, are really becoming pretty mainstream and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tooling is getting better. It means a lot more people will be using them and a lot more great things will come out of it. Yeah. All right. I guess we're ready to move to our picks. Yeah. Sure. sure. All right. Well, I, to those of you who listened to last week's show, um, I had a bit of an issue with my my audio channel. My, my audio card was adding unnecessary static to my recording. So by the time I got to my picks, it had uh, gotten really bad. So I couldn't publish them. They just were unlistenable. So I've piled it back up here again, and we'll, we'll talk about them once again. So the first pick I had was about a new, uh, or sorry, a data type that we didn't know about, or at least Jaime and I didn't know about in the in the documentation. And the, the link here is in the Pazin literal, which is French for this isn't a literal play on a painting by um, Rene Magritte called This Is Not a Pipe, and it's a painting of a pipe, a smoking pipe. Um, but this was on uh, a, an object called a dictionary literal that exists inside the Swift uh, standard library, I guess, um, where you can have uh, an ordered set of key value pairs, uh, and you just declare it by saying dictionary literal, and then you know square bracket equals square bracket, and then you have your ordered pairs in there. And uh, another interesting thing about this is that neither has to be hashable. I think is what, if I remember correctly from last week. Um, but it was just an interesting, um, interesting uh, type of object that you could use to quickly create a dictionary. So, and Mark, you had said that this wasn't new last week, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's actually been around since pretty much the beginning of Swift. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, let's see, we had a long discussion about it last time, but I can't remember. What yeah. We well, we had we have had. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's correct. So you're talking about the the Objective C 2.0 sort of shortcut for literals. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, that one that you just stated is the really the prior the Objective C prior to 2.0, where you had to do dictionary with values and keys, and it was it and nil terminated, which was really weird and awful. Yeah, uh, this actually is is not new. This has been around since uh, well, according to the documentation page, I could Xcode seven. So it's been around for a while. It's just something that I think a lot of people don't don't know about and don't use. The interesting thing is that there, I mean, there is a dictionary literal in general that you can use, uh, you know, which is a dictionary. Uh, and and uh, in fact, the way you define one of these dictionary literal types is to use an actual dictionary literal, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. So um, yeah, it's kind of a strange thing. I, I'm not 100% sure uh, how often this would be used. Uh, I guess I guess the ordering part is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, it gets around the issue of, you know, how, how do you make sort of an array of key value pairs, uh, which, you, you know, you could always do that with, with an array of tuples or something like that, but uh, but a little bit more convenient way to do it, I guess. So it's 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 a it's a nice thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't know that this exists. Um, it feels like the sort of content that you would get out of NS Hipster back when that was mm, yeah. uh, producing content on a regular basis, the sort of oddities and obscurities of uh, the Apple ecosystem. I, I need to sit and think about this one a little bit as to what I would do with it, because it's not immediately obvious but I feel like I'm, it's on the tip of my tongue as to what I would use it for. The the ordering, um, the, the specific order is is nice for reasons that are escaping me at the moment. Like, I feel like I'll, I'll find a way to use this. Yeah, I, I think it's going to end up being sort of a similar use case for um, ordered sets, which 
I don't use that often, but when you want to order a set where the set has uh, set-like properties where it ensures that there's one and only one of these things, but then I also, for reasons, also care not only about the uniqueness of identity, but also the order in which these identities go in and out of the collection. That's probably the same sort of sweet spot that I would use dictionary literal here. Yeah, this, this could be nice if you have a situation where you have a bunch of items associated with a single key, like let's say test scores for students, right? You have every student has a, a whole bunch of scores for all the different tests. Uh, and uh, if you wanted to store that before, you'd probably do something like have an array of dictionaries uh, where where a key would be a student and the value would be a another array or something like that. Uh, maybe you wouldn't have, maybe it'd just be just a, a top level dictionary where it's, you know, it's a, the key is, is a student and the, and the value is the array of scores or something like that. Uh, so this is, this is just a little bit more cleaner way to do it, I guess. You know, there's one less level of, of hierarchy to the structure. And the ordering is nice, I guess, if you wanted to keep track of, you know, which which test they got the score on. So just right, like, right. So it's yeah. so sort of a lighter, um, a lighter weight version versus having to come up with your own sort of Custom like, data you, know, you could do this yeah. with, yeah, 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 like a class structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's anything in this that you couldn't do in another way uh, if you needed to, but it's just maybe some nice cleaner syntax to do it. Yeah. We had, uh, I mean, we've had um, immutable dictionaries before, dictionary literals, right? Like, there is a dictionary literal object now that we can, or sorry, dictionary, you can create a literal. There's a dictionary. uh, (laughs) There's a literal syntax for dictionary. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literal syntax for a dictionary. And in fact, uh, that's what you typically use to set up one of these dictionary literals. Uh, And the the difference between this and that is that this, the special type, uh, is ordered and you can have multiple, multiple values for a, for a single key within that within it which you cannot do in a normal dictionary right okay yeah i see that here in the example they've got the same name twice but two different values for it right so like right. The, the second second version of it and the third version of it the, third, the second member and the third member are can have different uh, values even though the key is the same right yeah. right yeah and the guaranteed order of traversal was something that can be uh, useful as well mm-hmm. which you wouldn't be guaranteed for a dictionary yeah so i mean a friend of the show farley farley mentioned that in twitter that that he wasn't even aware of it at the time, so which is surprising, since he's such a big swift head. Um, yeah, so as uh, an interesting piece. So that was my first pick. Was this sort of object that people may not know about? Moving on, uh, my next pick was uh, um, a, a, a sort of a passion project. Josh Tidsbury is one of our um, Apple evangelists who used to work for Apple Canada, um, but he's moved down to California. And uh, he built a he posted a link on uh, Medium. He's a bit of a woodworker, and he's into the maker, the whole maker scene. And he he made these um, uh, Apple Design Award uh, mock-ups for uh, WWDC 17, and you know got a block of uh, made some blocks of uh, oak and had them laser cut and uh, cut in a um, you know an Apple logo, and then went to Adafruit and got a little tiny um, Arduino and uh, popped it in there to make the light glow, and got his team members to give him signature or sign uh, signatures and terminate vectors and have them laser engraved on the side of the uh, the box um, and or the cube. And yeah, so he just goes through this uh, article here on that he's posted on Medium on how 
he built these these uh, 16 cubes and it looked pretty cool. So I had a chance to talk to him since since I flubbed up for last week's uh, recording. I had a chance to talk to him uh, today or via Twitter, that is, uh, through direct message to get some sort of background on this. Um, at one point in the article, he mentions Lee Valley, and I, I kind of was pretty sure he was down in um, in California these days working for Apple and all that. Um, but um, so and Lee Valley is a local. Um, I don't if you're into woodworking, Lee Valley is a place that you know most people in in Canada or at least in Ontario know about, where you get to find tools like you know special chisels and you know um, uh, drill bits and things like that, and and uh, all kinds of fancy woodworking stuff. And so he he actually bought some mentioned he bought some stuff from Lee Valley. So I asked him today about how what did you mean by that? Did they have those in the states? And he said no, they were uh, he actually was able to order them and have them shipped down to uh, to his locality there in California, and um, as well you know how did he uh, get did he you know obviously being a woodworker where did he he found a space that uh, local space there in San Francisco like a community workshop where he's able to go in and you know use the drill presses and the table saws and so on and so forth to build this uh, this project so it looked pretty these look really nice and look pretty sweet and uh, they're not official I don't think they're official um, swag for the Apple Design Awards but because um, I, I asked him if they were planning on using these next year and he wasn't really sure and he just sort of said it was something he decided to make for for I guess for fun and I said you could always award them to your favorite iOS podcast if you wanted, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, it was, you know, um, pretty cool looking thing. So if you're into woodworking, you're into Maker, uh, you want to check out these these cubes. They're pretty pretty cool little art roll. They look pretty sweet. Um, I'm sure people would love to be awarded one of these uh, guys. And, of course, he even laser engraved the um, little characters from last year's uh, WWDC um, main icon, right? The ones we were trying to figure out what they were. That was my second pick. And th- by the way, I, I, I have a fourth pick, but I've decided to, to save it for next time because uh, I did get a pick in the meantime. So the, the, my third pick was uh, a tool that I found or a linter that I found on online last week called IB Linter. Um, and it was posted here by, let me get his name, by Utah Sato uh, on his GitHub. Um, and I'll have a link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. But this kind of a cool little thing. We talked about it a bit last week. And of course, that's been lost in time. And so we can talk about it again. Um, so I took it for a spin on one of my simpler projects. Um, it had some weird errors uh, that that I was it was telling me strange things about the basically when you run them on your nibs or your storyboards or you run it on your project and it comes back and reports to you as warnings and errors in terms of what needs to be fixed in your in your layout. And in fact, um, so and now I can talk about it. So I just published an article on uh, Touch ID and Face ID uh, for Ray Wonder, like it just came out this week. And so that project I started in project for that I started in 2014 and you know I've used it in Xcode 5 and 6 and 7 8 and 9 now and um, so over that time uh, the storyboard has has gathered some some moss if you want to call it that or it's got some some crud in it um, primarily because you know initially you know was trying to learn auto layout and all that kind of stuff and then I added in you know a stack view and then and and part of the whole idea was to sort of teach people how to do these new sort of things as they learned about face ID and touch ID using the storyboard uh, project that I created. And so when I ran the the linter on it, it found a couple of stray um, constraints that, you know, I couldn't necessarily see when I looked at the at the project itself. So I was able to go in and clean up the, the storyboard um, using this linter. Um, it gave me some odd messages about some of the class names, custom class names. So I was able to go in and create a, um, a, y, a an IB linter YML file and enter in a, you know, a, like a, there's a key value, key value there for adding a disabled rule.
rule. So I just told it, I just ignore the custom classes. I don't really care about that. And so it's kind of really simple, easy to use, similar to, it's, it's inspired by the Swift linter from, um, from the Realm folks from uh, JP Simard. Um, so I don't know if you use um, linters on your code, like in, when we work in a large team, so we have, we run the linters to basically make sure that we've got, you know, our formatting and our styles all sort of in line with each other. And uh, so the linter is able to do that. So this is kind of a cool thing. And, and Jaime, you, you mentioned last week that you had tried to run this on a project and had some challenges. Yeah, I think because for whatever reason, there was one nib that does not have the uh, document element as its root element. When I looked at the, the source code on GitHub, that's where it was blowing up. Um, I don't know why. I don't know the history of this particular nib. So I don't know why it's like the one weirdo nib that's built differently. I, I think presumed at the time that it was probably like an older uh, one, like, you know, like an Xcode 4 produced thing or something where it has, things have changed under the covers. So yeah, I, think I was very disappointed that I wasn't able to use this. Um, yeah. I was trying to figure out like, uh, it never got around to spend the time to figure out would it make more sense to change that nib or does it sure. like, recreate it? Or does it make more sense to um, submit a pull request that says, all right, you know, look for either of these and then continue down the, the yeah. chain of, of events. Well, it's interesting too that, that, that you mentioned that because I mean, like I said, this, this project has been moved forward over the years and um, you know, but in iOS, sorry, in Xcode 8, there was a change in the way uh, Core Data creates, can now gener- auto-generate its class files, right? So um, I had a few issues with, with the Core Data and I thought, well, I, I, you know, so I went back and I, and I refactored the project from the point of view. I started off with a with a more modern version of, of um, Core Data. So I updated that, and uh, but I had to do that manually. And, um, you know, so now I've, now in the, in the tutorial, I, I, there's, a, there's a note element that, that is generated from the Core Data um, file rather than me creating a class file. And, and one, last year, somebody had asked me a question in the forum as to why I, uh, I didn't use the, the code gen uh, itself. And uh, so I, and when I did the update this year, I did that. So it's kind of, you know, when you when you move from, and my point is when you move from one Xcode to the next over the years, um, you're going to have some baggage and um, sometimes you just have to refactor it. So, I mean, that that might be what I would do in that case with that nib. I might just recreate it, right? And I think I did actually create uh, one of the two views in the, or one of the two scenes, I guess they're called, in in, uh, sto- in storyboard land um, to do that. So, yeah, it's cool. So I, I recommend people take a look at the IB Linter, if nothing else, right? That's my picks. Um, let's see. So, who's next? I mean, yes, this, yeah. this is yeah. an app um, from Google that has gotten really ridiculously popular over the last few days. So, um, oh. it's their arts and culture app, which normally is <laughs> about arts and culture. You can go look up and say, oh, look, look at this painting. Oh, look at this, this artist's work. They've added something strange that people have found very delightful. So, now they have a feature where you can take a selfie and it will use you know, machine uh, vision to figure out which artwork do you look the most alike. And I've seen right, tons right. of people on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, sometimes with really good kind of scary results and sometimes with hilariously bad results. So your mileage may vary. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that it's like the most uh, profound thing, but it's uh, it's at the very least interesting. Interesting is number one. I saw a picture of Eddie Q today and somebody had found, like, I guess the, the algorithm had found a, a painting that was like the spitting image of him. 
time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of neat thing. So this is like a machine learning, vision learning, sort of computer vision kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, like one, or, oh, I cannot even pronounce this. One that was the, uh, it was the fourth place match. It was only like a 60% match to the uh, face, you know, under lighting conditions. And the face that I made is apparently Portrait Van In Indisch Prince, which is a, um, of an Indian man is what I would guess, just based on the look, uh-huh. who has a mustache that looks a hell of a lot like mine. So I was actually wow. fairly impressed by this match. Yeah, that's cool. It's neat. Yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to put Mark in there and see what he comes up with. <laughs> we have one picture of Mark. I have a couple, actually, but that's neat. And it's funny, it's like, you're right, it's, it's kind of rocketed to the top. It's uh, here, showing here on the chart as uh, number one on the store, right? Yeah, it, Tim, I, I think you, of all apps. people on, on this show, should do it because you actually have the BFA that can be like, yeah. oh, yeah, I know exactly which piece of work this is. Sure, yeah. Well, or, or you hope I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge. That's the kind of thing that draws crazy on exams, exam week. All right, well, I guess, uh, yeah, that's cool. Cool stuff. So should I spoil you guys and show, tell you what my next pick is for next week? It's interesting. We've got By some time, so... We'll be telling everyone. Yeah, well, let's let's do it because we've got some time to talk about this. This this one's going to open up a can of worms of discussion, I think. Um, so this was posted by John Sundell, who um, I follow on Twitter, and I think we've had an exchange or two. But he has posted, I think it's his fifty picks or maybe a hundred. He's compiling a list on on GitHub of all the sort of tips and tricks that he's finding in um, using Swift, the Swift language. So if you click on the link there, you'll see that you know there's all kinds of stuff. Like the first one nested names namespacing with nested types you know using auto closures um the you know, the triple equals operator you know to compare uh, objects in an instance you know i'm just randomly picking things here overriding a uh, overriding self with a weak reference um you know so there's all kinds of uh, little tips and tricks in here i don't know if you guys want to have a look at them and take pick one for a spin oh i top. see I, I also follow him on twitter so i've seen a handful of these um yeah he's been posting one at a time as well but it's a big long compilation the link is at the top of the, sh- the notes there, Mark, under rainy day. Yeah, I see. Right. Yeah, I'll have to take a look because I think um, when it comes to Swift, I think you'll find some folks get like weirdly angry about stuff. So I kind of <laughs> wonder. I-, I haven't seen any so far because I'm not yeah. uh, as devout, I guess, in in uh, in Swift religion. Um, I like it. <laughs> I use it. I prefer it yeah. uh, almost more than Objective C now. But yeah. uh, I don't think I have the uh, the um, sort of fervor of, of, of passion to go like, I guess it would have been on the mailing list before, but as of the time of this episode comes out, the discourse um, forums would be out for people to be very unhappy about particular changes to the language, I would guess. Right. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting one here. Like, you know, when you pile on the, uh, if you have a string and you want to find out if it equals to one or two or three. And so, you, you know, you could pile them on with a, uh, with a double or uh, what's that called? The um, or operator, I guess the, the double pipe. Um, so, you know, if string equals one double pipe, string equals two double pipe string equals three double pipe or you can now do uh, if string equals and then any of and then one two or three as a as a um, set of strings right or set, I guess a set um, yeah and then and then basically it'll do, it'll do the same thing it's just a faster way of writing it I guess um, more concise so a quick example there what number was that in the list that is number so I guess I should have said that number 35 I sort of skipped this notice that one caught my eye hmm. I didn't know about that one. yeah I didn't yeah. know about that one either and I can think of some immediate applicability at work tomorrow. Yeah. 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 yeah there's some, some nuggets on here. Like I've, uh, I don't think, I can't think of an easy situation for number 38 switching on a yeah. set, but yeah. that's actually pr- 
pretty useful because you do end up in a lot of like if it's up or down it's like well yeah. what if it's up or down just as like one easy to read state uh as opposed to left and right is one easy to read state yeah so th- those will be useful I-, I think i'll need to bookmark these and sort of like go through yeah them i figured that's i mean they're, they're, they're kind of ones you can just pick and choose from right sort of yeah i think uh, it would be way too many to be like let me just read through all of these and then just by osmosis <laughs> i will have learned everything i think it's more like all right i've got a, a problem here in terms of making this um an elegant yeah. solution let me see if there's something in here that yeah. is a better way of doing this yeah i mean you could just you know pull one off the top of the pile and have a look at it and see if you can incorporate it somewhere right so kind of some, some fun stuff but and like i said i think he's compiling these or he's still adding to them but uh and like you said he if you follow him on twitter he will he posts one or two per day um of these things as well i guess new things he's finding as well so that's cool that's um from john sundle i think he uh, what do i know him i think he has talks at this talks at show or um conferences and stuff and hang on speaking out of the side of my mouth here um where's my link so anyway that's uh that's it that's my pick my next week pick but i guess i spoiled it already Oh, well, that's too bad. So we wrap up? Sure. Sure. All right. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. Okay. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. That's the way to get a hold of me. All right. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I got a fun uh, a ping from um, one of our fans, uh, Jacob Gorbin. I was tweeting some things on uh, on um, music that I was listening to last week while I was waiting for things to happen with the... Uh, the every now and then, I like on Saturday when I'm editing this show, I'll sit down and get lost in uh, YouTube listening to different bands and stuff like that. Anyway, so he sent me some links here that of, of himself, uh, of some covers he's done. I'm going to paste them here. Uh, one is called, uh, which I liked a bit, was um, called Coco Police, and it's sung to the the tune of um, Radiohead's Karma Police and another one he wrote here called App Oddity which is like um, Space Oddity David by Bowie. David Bowie huh? I was saying David Bowie yeah Space Oddity by David Bowie but it's App Oddity and it's all about you know getting apps on the App Store and selling them so it's kind of a interesting interesting videos for people to check out Karma Police was actually pretty good like good cover <laughs> as well anyway sort of what our show is about App Oddity and Karma Police.
Hey, let's let's uh, let, let's turn some barbs over at uh, Canada. Canada. So Tim, Toronto apparently has uh, <laughs> what appeared to be race relation problems, but turned out to be uh, fraud related problems. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I don't know. Um, yeah, this is this is a real hot potato, I guess, today, right? But it's funny that you know. Okay, so so here's here's where I, where where the difference between Canada and the United States is. So yes, a young girl had mentioned that um, that she was attacked with somebody trying to cut off her hijab with a pair of scissors, right? But the um, and of course, you know, the media put her put her and her family on the air and and you know gave her like mic time or whatever, which is completely strange because they normally don't put kids on the air or they don't name kids right you know by their, their show their image or or their name and um, some some media outlets actually blurred her face but I mean I remember watching on TV and see could definitely see her face but I didn't think about it at the time. Then the police investigated this incident. Apparently, she says she was attacked twice and then. Um, the police investigated and they, they determined that it did not happen. So it was kind of a crying wolf situation, they say, right? Um, I didn't hear, I know she was back on the air or they were, they were interviewing her after the fact of the, some of the media about the fact that, you know, like, cause it's kind of the, the issue is, you know, the prime minister got involved and he made a statement about it and you know, a bunch of other people got involved and you know, created outrage all over the interwebs and internets and things like that. Um, why? it was considered to be a true story and then the next day it was the police announced that it was fake and so now we're going to get like the whole now there's going to be a backlash against you know Islamophobia and people are going to, not going to believe it anymore and it's just a, it's kind of an interesting mess right now but it's interesting that people are calling out the Prime Minister for making a statement about how horrible Islamophobia is and how this should never happen to a young girl blah 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 and now they're, they're asking for him to make a retraction to that statement about the fact that you know Islamophobia is not bad after all, or or something to, like just you know what I mean, like a retraction, which which is ridiculous. And yet you got a guy, you guys have a, a, a leader of the country walking around calling countries s holes and you know and and swearing in in news conferences, which is, I just I just find it comical that um, our prime minister who says the right thing can be called on the carpet for saying the right thing. You know, I mean, yeah, I think it leans real heavily. If if I were to guess on the people criticizing you i'm guessing they're probably on the opposing party or parties yeah oh yeah i mean like i have family members who think he's an idiot because he used to be a school teacher right like oh you're pr- you know prime what do you think about the prime minister he used to be a school teacher right well so what <laughs> you know uh, we, like that disqualifies a, him in some way yeah like, we we had a golf pro who was a the premier premier of the province at one point well i was out of the province and he ruined this country this province but you know like still he was a golf pro you know um and we've had you know business people that like our Prime Minister Maroney was a business person, not a lawyer, and you could say he did good things for the country, and he did, you know, you could say he did bad things for the country, you know. But I mean, I think it just goes with, goes without saying. But people are always going to always going to have an opposing opinion about a politician. But but the real story is, it's funny though, because like you see, even like I've had family members react to this story about this kid, right? So I mean, what was her motivation? Like, was she late for class, and she had to sort of say why she was late for class, and then it just mushroomed out of proportion or whatever, right? Um, who knows? Who knows why she said it? Or, you know, who knows, who knows whether maybe she was just intimidated by some guy or whatever and just sort of, you know, blew the story up out of proportion. But I, I think it, it's a major overreaction by everybody, really. Right. You know, because, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I you know, I'm 
not, I wasn't surprised to hear that this thing had happened. Like we've had, you know, people attacked, you know, because they're Muslim or, or because we've had, so we have our, our leader of our new democratic party, right? So we have three parties and three main parties in, in Canadian politics. Well, four really. Mm-hmm. So we have the, the liberals who are like, who's Trudeau and liberals are very similar to Democrats. And then we have our conservative party, which is very similar to Republicans in terms of their sort of style and politics, but we're not bipolar. We have other, other things. We have a new Democrat party, which is more of a working class, you know, every man's kind of party, right? And then we have the Green Party, which has, I think, Green Party has one seat in Parliament. And then the rest, there are other parties. Bloc Québécois has a lot of uh, seats in Quebec, right? Um, so they have some power there. But so the new new Democratic Party, they just an, they just elected uh, a Sikh as their, I believe he's a Sikh, as their, um, their leader, right? And he wears a turban. Mm-hmm. And there's video on the internet of some woman, you know, basically calling him a Muslim and saying that he should get out of the country, like in his in his face while he's giving a speech at some you know at some rally or whatever, and he's got a microphone in his hand, he's talking, and and this woman's like in his face, just like at him about the fact that he's a Muslim and he should get out of the country, blah blah blah, like not even getting her facts straight about what what you know because he has some sort of you know head head uh, what do you call it a head decoration or a head uh, you know religious symbol on his head, right? It just automatically right. assumes that that he's you know from uh, a Muslim country or, or shouldn't belong there. And, and it turns out like a few months later, he gets elected leader of the party, right? Yeah, that, that one is like doubly offensive. And I'm not even sure if I'm more offended that like, well, one, like what's wrong with being Muslim? Like, how is that yeah. like a distinctly bad thing? And two, at least be accurate with your racism. I'm very disturbed at the, well, this is the educational thing, yeah. implications of you not understanding the difference between a Sikh and a Muslim. Yeah, and the guy was like, it's funny, like I got to find the video and put it up online somewhere or show you it or whatever, because the guy was being totally like, you know, he could have lost it on her, but he didn't. He was being, he remained calm and he was talking to her while she was like in his like literally in his face about this right you know uh, that's that's like the people who think that socialism is bad because the nazis were socialists because right they were called the, the national socialist party right yeah 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 i, I remember understanding the translation well, we had. Now, the, do you know we had a, f- a female prime minister? You did. We did. Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had Kim Campbell. She was she was leader of the Conservative Party, and what happened? Because our leader becomes the the prime minister, right? Um, something to do with uh, there was some uh, maybe a vote of no confidence or something like that or whatever. But there was some. I think it was after Mulroney. There was some reason why he had to leave early, and then she was left standing, and she became the prime minister, and she was in in office for like half a year or maybe eight months or something and then it was an election and she just you know yeah i think it completely flip-flopped over to the liberals same sort of idea but yeah we had a we've had a female prime minister already right but it sounds like not one that was elected yeah no yeah it was just sort of yeah like she was the last man standing pardon the pun right so right right this is like if if uh mccain had won and pale and like met his demise and then palin becomes uh president yeah yeah hmm. or, or like well palin or, or, or pence like <laughs> right <Trump>. veep <laughs> Yeah, VP. In happier news, uh, <laughs> North and South Korea are apparently going to field a combined team for yeah. ice hockey in the Olympics. Kind of interesting, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I heard there might be even an Indian team, because uh, one of the women uh, that I follow who plays hockey was saying that uh, there may be a, something like that going too. An cool. ice hockey team from India? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How does the qualifications work for that? Is it like the um, I don't know, like World Cup sort of setup that's largely uh, echoed for Olympics? Uh, 
don't know. What's that like? Just anybody can feel anybody who can feel the team gets to play. Well, it's like you uh, compete through your region, depending on yeah. what your region is. And yeah. the only exception is that the host country gets an automatic bid. Hmm. Which uh, let's see, India's got a billion people, or so you'd think they'd be able to get a competitive hockey team together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just on a numbers basis. Yeah, yeah. If there's a one in a million person, it's like, hey, we got tons of millions. Let's just find those people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.